Jesus was talking with some people when he set the occasion up. He was trying to make the case to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, that God cared about some people, the publicans and the sinners, the outsiders who had been kind of written off. And he gave them these stories to try to get them to think about the fact that God loved them and that they were supposed to be trying to reach people and bring them home and not write them off. And Jesus was trying to get their attention to think about it and to understand it. And he himself was modeling what he was teaching, and yet he was having a hard time getting through because they were so locked up in, in their rigid way of thinking about what was just and right in God's eyes, and they, have, they were lacking compassion. And he was trying to get them to see, to be open. And so, so um, he gave them these stories, and the first story was the story of a lost sheep, the next one was a lost coin, and he talks about them, and then he gives them the story of a lost son. And that's the prodigal. And he says that there was a father who had, in, in this 15th chapter of Luke, he says who had two sons. One of those sons was a little more reckless. That's the picture we're given. He wanted to get out. He felt trapped. Prodigal is always the picture of someone who just needs to spread his wings, and he doesn't really have a good understanding of who he is, but he feels like he's got to go, and he decides to make a play, and he cashes in his inheritance, which really would have been in Jesus' day considered a very inappropriate request because you really weren't supposed to ask for your inheritance to be divided unto you until your father was dead or at least dying. And he decided that he wanted to ask for it all on the front end. And he says, you know, I don't think I'll be back, uh, but I, what I really want you to if you love me, you give me what's mine and you'll let me go. And we see the story as Jesus tells us, the prodigal heads out to the far country. And in that far country, he lives it up, he spends his money, he's having a, a time of it, but it gets to a point where he starts to run out of funds. The bio, Jesus says that the, a famine hits, the economy takes a downturn, he, he tries to get work, he can't find any, he's a foreigner in a foreign land, he starts to be abandoned by the people who was hanging around with, nobody was interested in him. Things got so bad for him that he ends up getting a job working with pigs, which for Jesus' audience would have been like the low of the lows. And then it says that he even started to envy the, the food that the pigs got. He was so impoverished and his condition was so bad that he, he had nothing. He envied them. And, and then it says that his pride, you know, he was proud and he, he probably couldn't go. He decided in his mind, I can never go back. I'd be so humiliated. At the same time, things were getting so bad where he was that there was a point where his need was greater than his pride. And he started thinking about the possibility because, you see, the one thing he knew is he knew this. His father was good. And so home for him represented something just and right. And he thought to himself, you know, I'm dying here. I've got nothing and nobody. And I have no future and I have no life. What I'll do, and it started as a thought, a small one, but it started to grow. What I need to do is I need to go home. I need to just... I need to suck up my pride and I need to try to go back home and I need to tell my father, I need to tell him that I, that I, I was so proud and cocky, I thought I knew his, I need to tell him I sinned, I was stubborn and willful, I'll tell him I sinned against him, against heaven, and then I'll ask him if not to be restored to be a son again, But because I know I, I, I lost that privilege, but I, what I will ask him is if he'd give me a job as a hired servant in his house, and I think he'll do it, and that he got to a point where he decided he was going to make the journey. Remember we talked about, the again, the difference between a good resolution and actually doing it. 
And then once we even decide we're going to do it, to keep doing, keep going till we get there. And he made his way back. And Jesus says that the picture he gives us is of the father who is waiting. And you get the idea that the, the father is praying. He's thinking about his son. He doesn't know if he'll ever see him again, but he hopes for the day when he'll come home. And it says that when his son was a long way off, when prodigal was a long way off, the father was out there. Maybe he, the picture would have been that he was praying for him, thinking about him. And lo and behold, he recognizes that figure. He knows. He can tell. He can tell even in the distance that that, that figure there, he is a, it's a pretty thin version of the boy he knew, but he could recognize it was his son. Remember how we talked about it, how Jesus tells the story of the old man pulling up his garment and just takes off running, throws aside all his decorum and starts running. He doesn't wait for his son to get there and grovel at his feet. No, that's not the picture. It's the picture of the father running to him as he catches his boy. Jesus says he doesn't just give him a nice welcome. He falls on his neck. That's the phrase he used. Just throws himself on his son. He starts kissing him. He tells him how good it is for him to be back home. He He's loving him. He's embracing him. He doesn't barely, he, he probably, he, he's not even giving him a chance to talk. When the boy gets a chance to talk, Jesus says it. He says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. He has his speech, remember? And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't get the next part out of his mouth because his father says, I don't want to hear anymore. Bring out the robe. Bring out the ring. Bring out the royal sandals. We're going to have a feast because you, my son, you were dead to me and you're alive. And, my, and you've been lost and now you're found. And we're going to celebrate. In fact, get the special calf. Get the special calf that we've set aside for that occasion. For, because this is a day in my mind like no other day, and we are going to, that, that is going to be, this is the occasion for it right now, and we are going to rejoice, and we are going to laugh, and we are going to sing, and we are going to dance, and we are going to eat, and we're, going to re, we're just going to be merry and celebrate, because why? My son who was dead is alive. Now, now that's the story. And they must have been listening to that, and they would have said, well, that's a great ending. We get it. That's how God is. He forgives people when they come back, when they make a mess. He's a God of the second chance. Now we know Jesus. Now we know why you're working with people to bring them back home to God. Now we get it. We understand. That's a great ending. Remember, each of the first two stories had an ending of what was lost was found. The sheep was found, carried home by the shepherd. The coin that was being swept for that had been lost, it was found, put back in. Everybody was happy. She rejoiced, the, lady who, the woman who finds the coin. And now the father, his, the reunion moment, he finds his lost son. Yes, that's a picture of the God who pursues us, who loves us, who will embrace us in our shame, who forgives us. It's everything that, you know, you know that painting, that Rembrandt's painting was all about. It's the idea of forgiveness and being loved. And that's where the story could have ended. But Jesus surprises his audience, doesn't he? He turns because he has another reason for giving the story. It's not just about the pursuing love of God that will forgive us and welcome us back home when we don't deserve it. He turns and he says, but you remember, and I bet you he looked at the Pharisees and the scribes when he said it, he goes, remember the older brother? Yeah? Because he had just been mentioned inside, as a side note earlier on in the story. He says, remember the older brother? He was um, working in the fields. And he, that's the picture, working, doing his duty. Because he does his duty. That's what he does. He's faithful. He's a hard worker. He's been at home. Prodigal's been away doing who knows what. He, he has an idea. 
he's walking back and he's saying, what's going on? The picture is of him in the field coming back from work. And he hears this commotion going on down at the house. And everybody seems to be celebrating you. No one told him about it. What's happening? There's a servant running by. He says, do you know what's going on here? Oh, you didn't hear the news. Your, your brother, your brother, and I, we thought we'd never see him. Your brother is back. He doesn't look so good, but he's back. And, 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 his, and your dad is so happy. He's so happy. You should see him. He's, he's just, he's like, it's he, like, he, he just, like a resurrection occurred. And he's, he's running around, and he's getting us all excited, and we're going to have a big feast, and we've decided to get the special cat that's been set aside for that special moment, and we're going to celebrate your brother's return. You've got to hurry up and get down there and join us. So you go ahead, he says, because I'll get there when I want to, and he doesn't go in. And the Bible says, Jesus says, you know why he didn't go in? Because he was angry. And that's where we left off. It says here that, Verse 28, it says, but he was angry and he would not go in. Our unresolved anger will keep us from being able to move forward with many of the blessings God has for us. This brother is angry. It says he was angry. He would not go in. And finally, we're told one more thing, that the father, when he got, he got news of it, he's not coming. Where is he? I don't know. I mentioned it to him, but I don't know. It became clear. Here's the picture. The father goes out to plead with his older son as well. That's the word there. What's the phrase? He pleads with him. What does he do? He begins not just reason with him. He's appealing to him. He's trying to, he's trying to he gets into a conversation with him. He's saying, oh, son, come on now. I know you, you don't like what he, what, what he did, but, but you, gotta, you can't just do that. You got to come in and join us. I mean, come on. He's alive. He's well. We've got to celebrate this. Look at the answer that comes back at him. He answered his father, Lo, uh, all these many years I have been serving you. I've been doing everything you wanted me to do. I've done everything right. I did. I, did. I never, everything that you asked me, your commandments, I did not forsake. I did what you asked. You don't think there were times where I wanted to go? But everything you asked of me, I have done it faithfully for you. And notice he says this, and, and yet <laughs> you never gave me a young goat, you never, you, never, you never had a big party for me to bring my friends to. But as soon as this son of yours, this one who, by the way, I might add, wasted all of our money, and you know it, he wasted it on, his, on harlots as well, spent it all, now he comes home, and you decide you're going to have the big party. I'm telling you, I'm not going in at all. The last thing I'm doing is going in. You can sign off all you want, but I won't do it. And the, and the father turns to him and he says, son. You know what's interesting is when the, when the, younger, the older prodigal, <laughs> that's what he is, he's lost too. When the older, older brother says to, says to the father, your son, he can't say my brother. He can only say your son. And, the word, and in the original language of the Bible, the New Testament is written in the Greek there, there are different words for son. The word he uses is a word that means offspring. It's like he, picked, he tried to pick the most clinical distance word that he could come up with. He can't say my brother. He can only say your son, your offspring. And when he comes home, see, so he, how we justify our hurt 
is we can put a people into a box and then we can, we can set them into a, a definition and that's how we justify it. And he says, this your son, and the father says, no, no, no. See, because him it's about why? It's all about justice. And what does the father say? No, he says, my son, listen to me. And the word that the father uses for son is like child. It means, it's like he's saying, child, son of mine. It's a tender. It, it has absolute tenderness in the, in the word. He says, son, listen to me. Everything, look, all, I, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. You know that. It's not about that. Don't make it that. Look, son, this is not about who gets this and who's being rewarded. This is about the fact that, look, it's, it's, it's a right thing for us. It's, listen to me. It's a right thing. It's a good thing for us to be able to rejoice in the fact that your brother who was dead is now alive to us again. It's a good thing. You need to come in. You need to cut this out. You need to stop it. See, the brother was making it, what, about justice. The father's saying it's not about justice. It's about, it's about relationship. It's like the father is saying, don't, don't make this a transaction. Don't make it like I served you, so you owe me. Remember we talked about, I did this, you owe me. He's saying, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't make it like that. Don't, we all, what we have is better than that. Don't make it a transaction. I'm owed because I served. It's about you. You have my heart. I love you. And you love me. And everything I have, I give it to you in a second. Don't cheapen that. Don't get so resentful. Don't get locked up in this anger of yours, this offense of yours. Don't be small-hearted. Don't get stuck here. Don't get stuck here. Because when we get stuck, we can't move into things that God has for us. Do you hear what I'm saying? We, we, God has something of life for us, and we get stuck on stuff. I had a professor in my seminary who, that's the phrase he used to say, what you won't let be, I remember he kept saying it, what you won't let be won't let you be. First I said, ah, then I started thinking about it, right? And I said, hmm, because I realized that he was actually getting at something. Because a lot of times we're holding on to stuff, and we hold it. We're holding our offense. We're holding our hurt. And all of a sudden, it's beginning to define us. I was talking to my son about that phrase. I said, okay, what do you think that means? What's that mean to you? You know, it's simple on one hand. On the other hand, it's, I go, because a lot of times... We get stuck holding stuff in, and all of a sudden, we're not letting it be. There are times we just need to let it go. But it's, let it go. But let it go. Let it go. Me. Right? I know that's like, too. I've heard the Lord, the, the Father pleading is God pleading with us a lot of times. Stop it. Stop it. Now, this is, this is going to corrupt what it is I'm trying to do in you. It's not about the justice. Stop it. You see, interesting when Rembrandt, and this is the last time we'll look at the picture, okay, the painting. <laughs> but Rembrandt, when he does the return, again, the main light is where? It's on the, on the prodigal. It's on the hands of the fathers, the blessing. So that's the main thing he's saying. This story is all about the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, the welcome home. Come home, prodigal, come home. That's what it's about. Mercy. Mercy flow over me. See? The amen, the blessing. 
But the other place that he puts the light, clearly, you see it, it's obvious. There's the only even smidgen of comparable light is on the face of the older brother and on his, to a lesser degree, his hands, which are crossed on the staff, which speaks of the authority that he had. He's dressed in the same clothing as the father. They both have authority. Rembrandt obviously is creating something that didn't exist in the story of Jesus because Jesus says they never says that they came together. At that moment of forgiveness, Jesus says it was just the father and the son together. But he decides to bring all the elements of the story together in this one picture. And so he decides to place, by his choice, he puts the older brother in the painting. And people have talked a lot about, well, what exactly is he trying to say about the older brother? One of the things, and, and there's a debate, you know, is he thinking I should move into this moment? Or is he pushing himself back and, and troubled? Clearly, he's aloof. There's distance. That's part of it. it. Speaks about a reluctance to join in this moment. He won't do it. One of the other things that's often missed, and you wouldn't notice it initially, in, but in some of the better prints, you can see it. Behind the guy who's sitting down and the, the three of those observers, which are meant to be us, looking at this moment, Rembrandt does something. On, on the back of the wall, he paints either a picture or it's some type of an image that he places on the wall. Uh, it could have been a car. It's hard to see exactly what it was, but one thing that you can tell, when it, you wouldn't be able to tell it necessarily from this resolution, but he puts a, a flute player in the picture. It's not a real person, but it's a statement. It's a statement that this is a celebration. And so, in other words, this is a moment of joyful celebration that we need to be a part of, and yet the positioning of the brother is one who will not do it. He won't join the celebration. He won't enter in. And again, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, he's saying, you guys need to join this moment. You need to, you need to change your way. They're so locked up, so stuck. He can't get them out. You know what? He, and it's amazing to me because the love of Jesus is such that he, see, we get, oh, yeah, Jesus is, is like he loves the outcasts and the hurting. But what amazes me also in this story is the fact that he reaches out to these men who a lot of us would have said they're self-righteous and mean. Leave them. Don't even deal with them. But you know what, Jesus, he's trying to, this parable is as much about him trying to reach them as it is about him encouraging people who have had a messed up past to come back home to God. He's going in both directions. His love is such that it'll reach to the self-righteous one too, the one stuck in his legalism, the one who thinks he's better. Because the Lord's saying, you've got the rules, you've got the duty, you did the work. Yeah, you did. You're in the field. You did all you're supposed to do. Good job. But you're missing my heart. In fact, we talked about it. What, what would have hurt the father in the story more? The lovelessness of, his, of the brother to his, bro to his brother, of the older to the younger, or the fact that his son really had been doing his duty and never caught his heart, that he had missed something, that all these years, all, think about that phrase, all these years I've served you, all, he said, what are you talking about, all, you, yeah, oh, it was like he's making it something of obligation, duty, I did it, I knew it was right, it was the right thing to do, but he's saying that's the wrong reason for doing it, it's, it's the good thing, but you missed the bigger thing. Son, this is not about doing your duty. This is about us being in relationship. Do you see the difference? Your duty flows out of that. But the other one is more important to me. That's why Jesus, when he came on the scene, he said, don't do the, don't do the religious thing and miss the heart. He says, God doesn't need your offering. Don't give it, put in your two cents and walk off and disconnect. I did the religious thing. 
said, don't do it. I don't want it. He goes, you can do it. It doesn't mean anything. Don't call me Lord, Lord, and then not do the things that I say. He's saying, don't make this just a thing we do. It's a heart issue. Always has been, always will be. This is not about duty. It's about relationship. Remember that always. They had got locked up. They were stuck. They had it. They had it. They had it. They had lost. They had all the right words, but they had lost the, the melody. They, they had lost what made it a song. And, 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 and he's saying, you guys, got you can't do that. You've you, you got to have a heart for people. You've got to rejoice in this moment. Quit writing it off. Don't be so upset with me and with them. Love, he was trying, see, he's telling the story to get him to think, which is what he does to us a lot of times, to break through, to get us to think about things. Okay. How can we take this out, play it out? What are the, here, 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 are the, here are the final kind of things that want to, just put the handles on as we close out. Final thoughts on it. I'm going to suggest that part of what the story gives us is a reminder that following Jesus means that we are choosing to let go of our offense. Maybe this is a good season for us to talk about it. A fitting ending. There's a lot of us, we can hold on to stuff. We Remember, what we won't let be won't let us be. And we're holding on, and the Lord's saying, let it go. We're holding on, and the Lord's saying, let it go. We're saying, I can't go in there. I'll never go in there. It's not right. Why? What was the issue? The issue was, one, it was justice. It's wrong. There's no way he should be rewarded. No way he should be rewarded. You don't reward people for doing what he did. He wasted our money. He focused it on himself. He spent it, for heaven's sake, on harlots. And you're now going to have a party for him? That's wrong. Wrong. I won't do it. You shouldn't do it either. I can't. Justice. But also, in that, there's something else, right? He's, he's offended, not just because of justice. He has managed to see it as, you, he, I've been being taken for granted here. You didn't take care of me. When was the last time you really gave through me my party? He said, well, that's being a bait. We do this all the time. And I'm thankful the Father is not saying, well, you know what? You're on your own, man. You know, you get your attitude right, then you show up. I'll be, we'll be down there having a good time. <laughs> he, he, I, you know what he says? He pleads. He reasons. I'm going to tell you, God, oh, oh, thank you, Lord, for the times when we, we're harboring stuff. We're not letting it go. We're, we're nurturing it, and, and we're growing it, and we're in a bad place, and we're angry, and we're mad, and we're resentful, and we're, 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 we're just letting it get the best of us, and the Lord will speak to us. Sometimes through a, we're reading his word and he's like, he's speaking to me. Or I'm praying and I'm talking to him and all of a sudden I feel God saying, you know, come on now. This comes up. I don't even want to mention their name. I'm so angry at them. Maybe sometimes someone like me is sharing from a, the word of the Lord from a platform and, and, and we're hearing it and engaging it and it's the Lord speaking to us about it. Or over a cup of coffee or some time with a friend and we're drinking and we're talking about something and all of a sudden we feel like the Lord is clearly saying something to us about our heart and about what we need to deal with and resolve. Again, what we won't let be won't let us be and we're having a hard time. We're struggling. We're holding it. We're not letting it go. We're, we're just stuck, locked up. And the Lord is saying, let go of the thing. Let it go. We feel the Lord reasoning with us. Pleading with you. So well, I can't do it all. It was too hard. You just don't just say it. It's like, you can say that. How do I do it? 
Now I had somebody a couple weeks say, well, what do I do about it? I said, I'm not saying it's easy answers. I'm saying the Lord will help us. Whatever he asks, he gives us the grace to do. We don't ever forget that. Whatever God requires, he gives us grace to accomplish. He always will. But sometimes it's a little bit at a, t at a time. It doesn't happen all at once. For example, and here, and it's connected to the second thought, is that it's connected to our willingness to walk in his joy, at least in part. And so secondly, as we'll put it, following Jesus involves understanding that this life was meant to be a joyful journey. And we cannot live in his joy when we are angry, uh, with arms crossed, furrowed brow, uh, resentful, allowing our hurt to define us, when we allow our hurt to define us more than his heart to define us. And he wants us to let our heart go, let our hurt go, and grab a hold of his heart. He wants the heart of the Father to be increasingly in us. And that doesn't happen all at once, but it, over time, we learn how to walk in the love of God. Here's the thing. Life with Jesus was meant to be a joyful life. I've even had somebody saying, well, how can I be joyful when there's so much things wrong in this world? And I've thought that thought. You know, there's so much pain. There's, there's unfairness, inequity. Uh, people are hurting. They're poor. There's the oppressed. How, you know, and, and here's the thing, we under, that's re, Jesus said that will always be that way. He said it. It will never fully change. At the same time, and he himself came in and he entered into that pain and he, he blessed the poor and the oppressed and he, he gives his life for the world. And yet at the same time, Jesus, and I point this out, I said, you know what? At the same time, though, he models, he models a joyful life. He didn't say to his disciples, everything's so bad. And until there's complete restoration of per perfect humanity, I want you to go into the wilderness and just weep all day long. <laughs> uh, I'm being foolish to make a point. He modeled for us the ultimate sacrificial life that was filled with sensitivity to the wounded, the broken, and the set apart. Yes, he did, and the disregarded. He gives his life for everybody. He spends his life to bless. But at the same time, he lived life joyfully. Um, he had friends. He was able to celebrate. He models for us what it means to live sensitive to God, yet fully alive. We've talked about how Irenaeus said, the old church scholar, the glory of God is a man. He said, a man fully alive, a human being who is alive in some way. When we're listening for God, loving life, letting his joy fill us, it doesn't mean that the world is perfect. In fact, if, the world has to, if everything has to be perfect, we'll never have joy, if that's the requirement. It won't happen. But the Lord gives us not only permission, he encourages us to live in such a way that the light of Jesus is... We're, we're called to be a blessing. We're called to be healers in his name. We're called to be life givers to the generations. We're called to get better, better, to love better, to live better, to honor God better, to make a difference, to be sensitive. We're called to grow, to let, us, let our light so shine before this world that they may see God and, and honor him and acknowledge that, his reality in this world. That's what Jesus said. How does that happen when we're angry? and mad, and, and, and resentful, and unwilling, and, and hurt. And you see, the Lord wants us to get us free of that stuff. Free to that stuff. And one of the best ways I know how, and this is the last thing we'll say about it, of how to make that happen is by choosing on our part to live a life that's filled with gratitude. That following Jesus was meant to be a life filled with gratitude. Because when we're thankful... We can be gracious. You know what I I've come to realize? That gratitude releases grace gracefulness. 
Gratitude releases grace. What I mean by that is this. When we are thankful, we are, we are more, more likely to bless. Bless others. Forgive others. When we know how much we've been forgiven, it's easier to rejoice with someone. Even, well, it's not fair. It's not right. They don't deserve it. That's not the point. How much do I not deserve that God gives me? How many times have I broke his heart, but he loves me? How many times have I gone my own willful way, and yet he's kissed me and said, you are mine, son of mine? How can I then in turn, when I really get that, get locked up in my offense? Will not that tenderize me when I, am a, when I realize that, that we have a God who loves us like that? How does that not affect me and in my willingness to stay out of the party? No, come on, son. And it gets to the point, listen to me. It's almost like I wish he would have said, son, how can I put it? Um, Son, you want the fatted calf, and this calf is everything that's important to you. He's, it's almost like he's saying, but instead of, instead of I, I, wish he would have, I wish the son would have said, you know what, this is, Father, I'm wrong. I get it. You know what? Maybe I did want the calf. Maybe I'm a little resentful. Maybe it bothers me. Yeah, it does bother me. There's no question it does bother me. But you know what? I get it. I am so thankful that you are my father. I am thankful. I, I'm sorry. I am sorry for my attitude, and I'm sorry that I'm having such a hard time with this. But I did not mean in any way. Your very presence here is a statement. I know it. I get it. I understand it. I know you. Know, that's not what I'm trying to say. I am so thankful to have someone like you in my life. Always, you know what? Help me. I don't think I can go in there. If I can, I don't think I'm going to be... I'm going to look. The, like the father is saying, look, I'm not asking you to go in there and dance the night away. I am, what I'm asking you to do is to come in and try your best to love your brother because it's the right thing to do, son. And when we really love, when we really love, when we really understand it's about relationship, it'll break us of our stuff. It'll, God will start to whittle away at that thing, that hurt that defines, again, what we won't let be, won't let us be, that hurt, he'd come at it, and it slowly his love melt begins to just piece by piece. Some people say, well, I'm very, I, I, how does it happen? I say, you know what, sometimes it happens all, I've seen God come into someone's life, just stay with me, I know we're running out of time, and I've seen him, I've seen him like take a, there's this giant rock called anger, and I've seen the Lord come in, and it's like a sledgehammer, bust open, just stuck. God slams that thing and it just bursts out. It just breaks it to hundreds of thousands of pieces. And all of a sudden there's this freedom. I'm free. And then I've watched over time others, and I've seen it in some ways in my own life in different areas where it's like the Holy Spirit is just, there's this giant rock there, right? And just as the years go by, peace here, peace there, peace there. And what was once a massive thing, actually, you know what? I'm maybe not all the way better, but you know what? I'm a whole lot further along than where I was. It's because I've allowed God to work at it, to keep getting at it, to work with, plead with, get me through, to respond. Okay, how does the story end? We don't know, because he doesn't say. He doesn't really say on purpose. What's the older brother going to do? We don't know. Because you know what Jesus was saying? What are you going to do? So what are you going to do? You going to go in? And in a way, the Lord is saying that to you and I. 
what are you going to do? How do you want it to end? That's your call. We get to decide how the story ends on the basis of how we live. Really. We get to pick the ending. The prodigal is a story that doesn't really end. And that's a good thing. Lord, I thank you in this, uh, this time that we've shared here as we prepare to close the service out with our, our song that really does talk about making a step into the day, stepping forward in the blessing that you have for, for us. Ref the song really does speak about refusing to be defined by the hurts of life at the same time, to live in the freedom that you have for us, God. And as we prepare to close with that and, and our time of giving, I want to ask you to keep working in our hearts, Lord. Help us to be focused not so much on what isn't working well, but to be more focused with your grace on what is, we are blessed with. Not so much focused on what hasn't been given to us that we think we should have, but more focused on the blessing that you've given to us. Most of all, the blessing of who you are to us, Lord. Sometimes there aren't easy answers. You call us to wrestle with things. Sometimes, God, you're the God of miracles, and you break stuff open in our lives, and we have to say, it is a miracle. Other times, Lord, it's a process, and it comes through a little bit here and a little bit there. But over time, as the years go by, we begin to see strongholds that used to just really dictate to us who we were. And Lord, they, we begin to see ourselves getting more and more free, free to love, free to be, free to become what you, you made us to be, free to be a blesser and a healer and a life giver in your name, free to be a difference maker, Lord, where we are. And, and Lord, getting better, getting better and getting more whole. And I just pray that you keep working in our lives, Lord. Keep working. Don't ever stop working, Lord. Keep calling us to a higher place to get past things, Lord. I give you the honor. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. Fill us with your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, let it be.